You're listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast championing independence powered by The Famous Company. Whether you're an artist or music industry professional, ensure you don't miss a beat by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Today I am joined by Danny Angove. Danny, am I am I pronouncing the surname correctly? Yes, it's Angove indeed. Yes, Angove, brilliant. Um, the first thing I really wanted to jump into there is what is what we normally start with, just to to get to know the guests a little bit more. Is how did you get your start in the music industry? It's a long story, to be honest. I mean, ten years ago now, I was fifteen. I was living in Plymouth, and I religiously read the Enemy uh, in all its forms and a couple of other music magazines as well. And I decided that I really, really wanted to be a music journalist, but I had no idea how to. Um, so I just kind of started a website and just started writing about music. And then over time, it kind of built up a little bit whereby I was interviewing some artists, um, writing about more music and getting sent music to write about. And then things kind of spiraled from there. The site started um, doing some good numbers. Uh, I started talking to more people. And then I went to uni to do an English degree with the full intention of being a music journalist. But when I was at uni, I kind of realised that I did prefer the music side of things to the journalism side of things. But honestly, I thought you had to have like an uncle who worked in Sony or your granddad had to have founded Warner, that kind of situation to get a foot in the industry, none of which I had. But at the end of uni, I said to myself, look, you've got nothing else. You might as well give it a go. You regret it forever if you didn't give it a go. So I said to myself, I had a few months to try and get a job in the industry. Uh, And if that didn't work, I'd go away and do a journalism master's and get a real job. Um, but as luck would have it, uh, about two months after graduation, I got a job at Red Light Management down in Bristol, and I'm still there. And things just kind of went from there. Nice, because you've been kind of uh, dipping your toes, let's say, uh, within like certain different parts of the industry. You, it was one on one music was the the journalism side of things. This is what right. you set up at the age of fifteen. Yes. Um, Industry looked very different then, especially for journalism. Hmm. Like, do you think? Do you think if you started something like that today, it would it would have went in the same direction? And and if if not, how do you think you would have went about that today? I mean, to be honest, I think as much as it was useful to have certain, I don't know, the knowledge of the PR side of things and the journalism side of the industry. I think what really almost endeared me to the people who ended up hiring me. One of the things was that I went out and started something. I don't think it matters if you start a podcast, a radio show, a blog, a graphic design sideline, whatever. I think if you have to get up and go to go and start something and it's related to your passion, whether it be music, art, anything you're interested in, you're hoping to get a foot in, maybe one day if you're lucky. I think that can only serve you well. So in answer to your question, I'd do it again. Nowadays, obviously, it would be more focused on video, maybe short form. Uh, it was a lot of written word back then, a lot of pictorial content that was kind of in vogue back then, but literally, no pun intended. Um, but I think that's the only thing I would change is maybe the medium. You need to adapt to what's around you and don't assume you can dictate what's popular. You have to kind of ride along that. And then ideally, if you get big enough one day, you can start to dictate that. But until then, look at what's around you, look at what people are responding to and define your product by that. Uh, but no, I'd do the same thing again with some very small tweaks. Yeah. So one-on-one is your the, the founder and editor of. I'm yes. going to jump into red light management. You said, of course, that was was you've you've been employed by them for near enough a decade now, was it? 
Oh God, no, four years. Oh right, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> you no, said ten years. A lot of timelines to get in track. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. So that's that's kind of your main day to day role then. That's, um, that's my main thing. Yes, but you're also a part of I- I- imposter syndrome, which you are the founder of. You need to explain that's more digital marketing. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So I figured it was during the lockdown last year. And like the rest of the human population, I had a bit of time on my hands on weekends and evenings, you know. Um, So I thought, you know, I've got these skills. I'm lucky enough to do something I enjoy. Why don't I try and maybe spin out some facets of my skill set into a sideline almost. And from there, I've been lucky enough to work with some amazing clients, do some really cool things and just kind of apply my thinking in a different way. Almost, It's been really valuable for me as a manager as well to be able to take what I can see from a manager's standpoint and think, okay, if we're looking at this from purely a digital marketing standpoint, how can I apply this? And vice versa as well. It's given me a really firm grasp uh, as a manager of how best to implement digital strategy and marketing on my own clients' campaigns. So it's been really fun and really rewarding, actually, to use a cliche. Yeah, nice. So let's jump to the the, the red light management stuff. Um, yes. Did you start there as, as a manager? No, God, no. Um, no. I was very fortunate, actually. So my original interview was for a part-time unpaid internship. I was fully willing to com- uh, commute one day a week uh, from Plymouth, two hours up, and then um, back from Bristol, two hours in the evening. No problem whatsoever doing that. But as luck would have it, I went in for an interview. Some timelines worked out, and they were able to offer me a full-time paid position right from the off as a manager's assistant. And then from there, I've kind of just risen up a little bit to day-to-day now. So I'm a day-to-day manager now. Do you think, do you think um, the role of an artist, and I know we're only talking four years, do you think you kind of looking on as an assistant compared to now, has uh, a, a lot changed there? I, I only ask this because, and this might just be you, because of course you've got a uh, knowledge of, of marketing. Do you find yourself being more uh, on like the marketing side of things or more on like the management side of things? And and his, has that changed in four years? I think that's a really good question. I'm more on the management side of things, but that's what I do. I'm involved in projects and campaigns and it's my job to have, or it's our job even, to have a very overarching 360 view of things. But I think so much of the industry nowadays is marketing reliant and not even in ways that people think, you know, for me, marketing isn't just selling. For me, marketing isn't just brand awareness. It's, I don't know, um, brand voice and visibility and imagery and, you know, making sure that everything's tied up together in one neat package. For people to get a brand isn't just a logo. It's not a profile picture. It's not just an artist's name. If you see a font, you know, if you see the Facebook font, you'll think that's the Facebook font. That's the branding. If you see the Twitter color shade of blue that they use, you think that's Twitter. That's branding. And it's what you need to achieve in an artist campaign as well. And I think the two have always gone hand in hand. But nowadays, when we're in such a democratic digital landscape, as we're going to call it, um, whereby fans as a collective can decide to, I don't know, jump on this TikTok trend, or are we going to make this Maisie Peters song number one on iTunes today? because we're going to band together, be part of a bigger movement, and we're going to make this happen because we want to. You can't dictate that. You can react to it. You can kind of try and tweak things in a marketing campaign to make that happen, but you can't um, force that almost. So I think as much as marketing has always been a part of the music industry, even in the last four years, it's become a lot more democratic. Uh, We're living in a fan-driven culture nowadays, which is fantastic. It's how it should be. And even over the last four years, you know, Instagram stories and Reels and TikTok um they've all kind of grown exponentially throughout and 
any industry is fast moving, but I think that the music industry nowadays is so married to technology, which by nature moves so quickly, then things are bound to have changed in four years. And frankly, I'd have been alarmed if they didn't, and I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, I'm assuming within, like, I won't even say within the last year, I'd say maybe like a year and a half ago, you're all kind of sat there in, in your day-to-day meetings and TikTok is now a word that's being thrown about. Do you know what I mean? Like Everywhere, yeah. E- everywhere. But can you kind of maybe break down for, for some people who are very much interested in getting a role in management? Like what, what would your day-to-day be? Like um, how would you, and, and maybe and maybe just give me like uh, a little bit of a breakdown. Of course, I know oh, things can change, but. No, of course. I mean, to be honest, my favorite thing about my role is that there isn't really a day-to-day um but i think on average you know if you kind of try and really stretch it out to the bare bones um everyone knows that music works on cycles works on campaign so sometimes i love an artist who's we're putting an album out like jordan rucker at the moment his album's coming out in a couple of weeks uh, so we're very much in promo mode marketing mode making sure that everything's pushed towards that so my day to day at the moment is a lot of kind of organization of press a lot of refining of like last minute social and digital bits and just making sure that everybody's talking to each other uh, so we can all do our jobs to the best of our abilities but in other times I may be making tour posters I may be talking to social media companies I may be on the road with a client uh, I may be helping with release strategies maybe distributing releases as well any facet of the music industry if a manager isn't doing it themselves obviously they should be across it they should be aware of it they should be like understanding what's going on and who's doing it uh, I understand that's a very long-winded answer to a very simple question but the short answer is it isn't a day-to-day. One, because there are so many campaigns going on. And two, again, because things change so rapidly. You know, if I have a client who, I was talking to someone a little while ago, and I think if you make a marketing plan, you can make the best marketing plan, the best release plan in the world. But if something blows up organically, like if one of your singles goes viral on TikTok and it just blows up, you can't, you can't ignore that. You need to react to that. And... I've had so many days, I'm sure we all have in any profession, whereby I go in with a list of 20 things I'm going to do that day, but then something happens at 9am and that list goes out the window because I need to react to what I'm doing now, else I'd be doing a disservice to the people I work with, you know, the um, general managers and to my clients. And also, again, to the fans as well. It's a fan-driven industry. People, it's very easy to forget that. Hmm. what would your advice be then for someone who is wanting to get into artist management like let's say like initial steps um your way was very much maybe not not kind of like a one in a million you went in and was, was, yeah yeah you you but you were willing to do the internship yeah fully willing to do that and i think yeah. that's the trick as well i think i know so many people who've gotten into this profession and not one of us have the same story um for me, I started something when I was young. I worked at it. I built it up and that transformed itself eventually, thankfully, into a full-time career for me. Uh, but I know other people who have gone to a music union, like BIM, to do a music business course. Great way in. Or gone and done some internships. Or I know somebody who, I don't know, started out, wanted to be a photographer and then found they enjoyed the industry and kind of went from there. But I think the unifying factor and the thing that I think really helps, and I cannot stress this enough, start something do it off your own back um because not only might that give you something to show as a portfolio or something to put in your cv but also i think it really goes a million miles towards just showing that you a that you want this and b that you're willing to put in some effort and some time and some graft and really hard work 
without knowing it's going to pay off. And I think in any highly competitive industry, which the music industry is, that can only do a good uh, service. Is there room for, um, and I say this, and I say this kind of just like in a broad <laughs> kind of way, is, is there room for all of these people who maybe all go to like a music university or like who start up their own thing? Like what's going to separate the, the these people? Is it just when you see hard work? No, no, no. It's There's room for everybody, you know? And I think the music industry is so rapidly expanding. I mean, TikTok have a music team now that's sprawling. Uh, Spotify ever expanding. Um, there are so many music supervision jobs. You know, when it's the kind of thing I'm still trying to explain to my nan what I do for a living, to be honest with you. And there are so many jobs in the music industry that require far more context and nuance than music manager. At least that's something that my nan may vaguely have heard of somewhere. Uh, but the industry... There's so much going on. There's so much new stuff happening. There's so much development. There's definitely room. Um, is it easy to get into? No, arguably not. Um, but is it going to be, is there any kind of limitation on numbers or any kind of dictator system that says there's only X amount of people and then X amount of people aren't going to get in? No, it's down to the individual. Nice. If, like, let's take it back to, to when you were doing... Um one-on-one and and like and i understand as well you've done many articles uh you worked for the the huff post you've done stuff for for the bbc do you think because of your background in journalism that molded your management like styling when it comes to your management career that's a really good question um not directly but i think because of the choices i made and the things i've learned off the back of that Yes, in a way. For example, if I hadn't started one-on-one, I wouldn't have written for anybody else. Never mind that I wanted to be a journalist. So I wouldn't have done an English degree, which shaped my thinking, shaped the way I look at things and gave me some skills that are really transferable. Um, I think... No, sorry, remind me of the question again. I've gone totally blank mid-thought. <laughs> yeah, so basically, like, it did, the, did you being a music journalist shape the way that your management style is maybe compared to the the other managers at, at red light um do you feel like it's served your artist like differently no, do you know what i, I mean, mean? I, I wouldn't like to say that compared to the other managers at red light i think everybody to quote a excellent film has got a very specific set of skills when they begin and then as they build up obviously you learn from the people around you i've been lucky enough to be surrounded by amazing people from my career and get some great leadership and mentorship and everything else from everyone around me, indirectly or directly. Um, but I think that it gave me an outlook. It gave me an eye for detail. It gave me an eye for a good PR angle. And it gave me the kind of eye that can read over, I don't know, a tall poster in the very early days or a press release and pick up things. But then from there, because of that early eye, I was able to you know, build on that up to proofreading album artwork and these other things these skills that i can bring to the table these are my strengths everyone's got strengths everyone's got weaknesses mine happened to be the written word i like to think i'm okay that i can pick that up uh, but it's all part of what you bring to the team and it's all part of what you as a package and an individual can bring to your artists as well so no i think it may have given me i don't know certain skills that others may not have it might not be their strong suit but then others have strong suits that are very much not mine so I think it's more about a collective effort and individual in this case. Are you still learning? Like, I, I love the fact that you said that you, like, 
off the back of the journalism thing, you jumped and went to do an English degree. Um, do you believe that even if you've had a four or five years in the industry or 10 years in the industry, do you believe there's always room to learn? Oh my God, yes. I mean, I am so new to this. <laughs> I know I'm four years in, 10 years in if you count one-on-one, but I am, there's always so much to learn. Not only because you're surrounded by experts and people with great knowledge and great experience, but also because like we touched upon earlier, the industry is ever evolving, you know? I mean, you had the, I mean, the MP3 was only developed 20 years ago or something crazy like that. I remember getting my first iPhone in 2008 or something. Back then, the notion that not only could we have our entire music libraries in our pocket, but every song ever recorded. And I could take a video, send it to my friend who happens to be in China at the time and get an instant response. It's entirely alien. It's ridiculous when you think about it. And so much has changed in the last four years. You know, we touched upon TikTok. We touched upon new digital distribution. We touched upon artist-led deals as well. Um, And so much has changed. You'd be a fool not to learn and not to take the opportunity to learn as well. I really hope I'm continuing to learn. Yeah, that's brilliant. Talking about artists then in terms of how would they catch someone's eye? Before we dive into that, though, when do you believe an artist needs a manager? And I'm talking, of course, 2021 with eyes set on the future. Like, when can an artist be like, oh, I may have not hit a wall, essentially, but this is the great things I'm doing. I know I can do X, Y, Z. I need a hand. Or do you feel like with the new technology, a manager comes very much near the end of that learning kind of journey for them breaking into the industry? Like when, when does an artist need you? I honestly think that really depends on the artist. Um, there are some artists who, at least initially, seek to take on a manager because they need help negotiating contracts and just organising the things that they're doing. And then there are other artists who find a manager because, I don't know, the story of Sam Fender is one I've heard, uh, whereby he was working in a bar. Ben Howard's manager came in after a night out uh, and Sam Fender grabbed a guitar, play a song. Ben Howard's manager slipped some business card and they went from there. They started at a very grassroots level and that's still entirely plausible, entirely doable and entirely valid. But I do appreciate what you're saying about, you know, TikTok and YouTube and self-distribution and all these independent avenues that an artist can take nowadays to get some good numbers and some good success. Uh, but I think it does depend on what, what the artist is looking for. If they're looking for connections assigned to Polydor, they may want to manage them. Or if they're just looking for general campaign guidance or marketing help or just a helping hand, you know. The job of a manager is to be the bridge between the artist and the industry and its fundamental core. And it's up to the artist when they want to start walking across that bridge. What do you look for? Give me like your three things and it can be, you can give examples. And if you don't want to say the artist name, that's absolutely fine. But what, what does, what do you look for personally? The music's got to be good. The so music, that's number one. The music, you know, you can't sell something that doesn't exist. You can't sell, you can't sell bad music. You need to believe in it on a fundamental, on a fundamental level as well. You know, hmm. um, personally, I also drive is a big one for me. I haven't taken on any direct clients at Red Light yet, but I'm managing a fantastic singer-songwriter for imposter syndrome. And he is one of the most driven individuals I've ever met. So talent plus drive plus willingness to put the work in, whether that be getting in a van and driving an eight-hour round trip for a gig, or whether that be spending four hours on TikTok or Instagram if you really don't want to. Um, but I think for me, Jen, the talent has got to be the talent. Yes. It's the simple, there'd be no industry about the music. 
Could you maybe throw me one more then? Well, what, what you've seen so far. So we've got talent, we've got the drive. Um, what, what's one more that you kind of go like without that? It's not even worth the partnership between an artist and a manager. I wouldn't like to answer that, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think it's that straightforward. No? No, I don't. You know, music is so individual. I sound like, a, again, a walking cliche here. But you can't give a textbook answer to such a complicated question. And you can't break it down to bullet points either. It takes talking to someone, meeting somebody, just feeling what you're both about. Sometimes a manager isn't the right fit for an artist either. That happens, that's fine. Mm. But you can't break it down to the bare bones. It's not feasible. Do you know why I love that answer, Danny? Why? Because time and time again, artists keep on saying it's numbers, it's numbers. They think it's number driven. And you haven't said that at all. Do you, do you at Red like, does anybody look at the numbers? Because I was imagining if there was going to be a third, it would be social media. But mm. is, is that ever brought up? So-and-so hasn't got enough this, so-and-so hasn't got enough that. I couldn't speak on behalf of all of Red Light, to be honest with you. Um, I haven't done that. I don't think we've done that collectively within my office. And I like to think that if somebody came along with undeniable talent, as in like, holy cow, I can't believe this, you go with your gut. Obviously, we're a business. We're looking to build businesses for and around our clients. And that's mm. going to be part of it. Again, it's an industry. But you can't ignore a great song. You can't. Or a great set of songs or a great voice, whatever. You can't ignore that. So if, say, an artist is listening to this now, then what's the best way to reach out to you? Or what, what's one thing that you think, hey, that will definitely grab my attention? Because before, I imagine you get sent a lot of music. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. So what's one thing that would separate maybe someone from the rest of the crowd? I think between one-on-one imposter and red light i must get oh god let me think a few thousand emails every week with new music that i wish i had the time to listen to but i'm only human i don't mm. and i think the key especially to pitch is keeping it succinct succinct and making it eye grabbing you know um i was talking to someone a little while ago and there are two types of pitches i get okay one is like hi i'm james i'm a singer songwriter from liverpool I, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that. And then you get to what they sound like and what they've done. It's no use really in a third paragraph down. Say you've managed to pull off an amazing thing and you've supported, I don't know, Ed Sheeran at Wembley, you know? Mention that straight away. Anything that will catch the eye, particularly in a cold pitch or a cold email, get that in there, okay? And even if you're not fortunate enough to have done that yet, maybe too early in your career, you may only be just starting out, stop that, do it anyway. But make sure instead of going, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, and keeping it vague and fluffy. You go, I'm James, I make funky, psychedelic rock music, I'm from Liverpool, and I've done this so far. That's all you need to hear, like an elevator pitch. The concept of an elevator pitch is one I'm sure everyone's familiar with. You want your elevator pitch to open your email, and then once you've caught the eye of me or whomever is reading that email, they will keep scrolling, they will listen to you, but it's about attention. We live in an attention economy, and that applies to this as well. So short and sweet? Not necessarily, just keep the opening eye catching. I'd far rather yeah. give a detailed email. Actually, it's a lot better to have everything in one email um, rather than having to go back and forth and be, oh, can I see your, your Spotify? Can you send me your website, your Facebook? Keep the intro really eye-grabbing, one or two sentences explaining who you are, what you sound like, and anything you may have done so far, and then below that, the detail. That's my nice. advice. Um, talking about advice, and uh, this is going to be my 
last question for you. So Danny, thank you so much for for, for sitting with me today. I really appreciate it. I know I know it's an evening, uh, <laughs> but I'm having a great one. It's right, with right, you. Right. Um, yeah it's been great um if, what advice would you give to your younger self knowing that the everything that you've gone through um the ever-changing world of the music industry the the last couple of years we've had as a planet um might kind of change the way like your perspective is now what advice would you give to to danny 15 years old he's about to start one-on-one take the it's very small amount of money you're earning in Primark and invest it in Apple. It'll do you well. But other than that, um, <laughs> honestly, but um, other than that, just go back and just kind of believe in what you're doing. Believe that you're building something that's quite good and that may, if you're lucky and you work hard, take you somewhere. And I hate to be all omniscient 20-something male on you, you know, because that's not a good attitude to have. But I think that applies to everybody as well. Anyone who's seeking to make any sort of start into music or the creative industries, just believe in what you're doing. I call my company imposter syndrome for a reason. It's to remind me that I shouldn't have it. It's so true. So many people refuse to acknowledge that what they're doing is quite good or they know what they're doing or they built up a good network around them or that they have the confidence to do whatever it is they want to do. And that's not how it should be. That's why people give up. And I think it's criminal to give up before you're giving it or giving yourself a fair shot, no matter what you want to do. So my advice to me 10 years ago is just believe in what you do, keep going, buy those Apple shares and just do just do your best. Because nothing worse than looking back and thinking, I wish I tried harder. I wish I'd done this. That's not a good way to live your life. And if you're lucky, like, like I am and I was, it might work out for you. But if not, at least you tried, God damn it incredible industry and life advice there from Danny Angove and a massive thank you again for coming on the show and for everybody else for more interviews AMAs tips and tricks and exclusive content follow us on Instagram and TikTok at the famous co that's at the famous co my name is Zaid tap that subscribe or follow button whatever you see in front of you and we'll see you all next time You've been listening to Almost Famous, a music industry podcast powered by The Famous Company. If you're an independent artist or music industry professional, for more information, head to www.thefamouscompany.com.